This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Wisconsin's gun deer hunting season opens on November 18th, and for a number of reasons, harvest numbers are expected to be down this year. But beyond those harvest estimates, perhaps the biggest question in Wisconsin is, what is the health of Wisconsin's deer population? Here to talk about the hunt and answer some of those questions is DNR's deer program specialist, Jeffrey Pritzel. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Lisa, for having me again. Really glad to talk about the hunt. We know there's a lot of excitement this time of year for that nine-day gun deer hunting season. What did? What are the signs about the level of enthusiasm this year? I think, you know, it's hard to say that it's high every year this time of the year. That's what's kind of exciting, the fact that we've got 600,000 people that are all going to convene, you know, on opening weekend to, to share in that experience uh, just drives, you know, a lot of enthusiasm. And, and I think that's what people, they go into it thinking or hoping this is the year, regardless of what the forecast is, this might be the year that a memory is created that will, you know, last with me the rest of my career. You know, maybe this is the year. So there's that that optimism at, at, at this point. And, and, there's, and then there's just the fun of planning, well, how do I set myself up for success, you know, in the best way? Because there's a lot of different strategies and options. So when you look at, like, for instance, those early signs, like the license numbers, the, the archery numbers, like what mm -hmm. is that telling you about how many people are kind of geared up to hunt this year? So it's telling us we're seeing the same thing we've seen for over a decade now, where there's just this slight, slow erosion of of our total hunter population and it's become rather predictable that we're going to probably lose about two percent a year it's been happening that way for a number of years and it'll probably continue for another decade and that and doesn't have anything to do with conditions or what people might expect to see out there right right you know people think that hunter numbers are driven by expectation or going things are going up or going down getting better or worse but the real driver is simply that the baby boomer generation has hit that age where they're starting to age out of, of deer hunting and that's such a large proportion of our hunting population I mean last fall the most common age of a deer hunter was 60 years old and five years from now it'll be 65 because that that generation is still the dominant you know participant and and then it'll shift you know towards towards a younger age group um, and and our numbers will probably level out somewhat and at that point we'll probably still have a half a million deer hunters in Wisconsin so it's still going to be a force as far as people. You know when you were previewing the season for the media last week you talked about hunters having to couch their expectations why why would you say that to a hunter? Well I think I'm couching my expectations because frankly last fall it was an easy year to be the deer guy because conditions lined up really well. We had snow on the landscape from in much of the state during Which the Which is good deer for season. tracking. Exactly. Increases sightability and people being able to see deer. So that's kind of why I, say I don't unless we get snow again like we did. And that's not an annual occurrence anymore. So if we don't get the snow we had last year, I, I find it'll be hard to match the numbers we had last year during the gun season. What about conditions? A little too early to talk about the weather, but what does it look like out there on the landscape? Well, there's a, several things that are going to influence, you know, experience and, and harvest. And one being just that flat out, you know, weather temperature. Uh, is there snow on the ground or not? Um, windy weather is not conducive to great deer hunting either. And so we look, we kind of look forward to cold and calm 
And if snow's on the ground, all the better. Um, but then the weather that's leading up to that in the farmland portion of the state, where's the corn harvest at? You know, at the end of October, we were at about 35% harvest on, on grain corn. Um, and I think it's been a little on the wet side. That think we might be a little behind schedule. So the so amount the more of more corn gone, the easier it is for hunters. Right. Yeah. It's just less places for the deer to hide where they want to hide in in standing corn, and and they're moving a little bit more in open areas. You know, looking for food, and so that can be good. And then just the wet conditions. I mean, we had a relatively dry summer. It got wet later in the year, and we've had some moisture now. But if we're not going to have hard frozen conditions and think the swamps are wet and there's, not a, there's no ice, that can limit access to some really good deer hunting spots too. So those things all have to kind of line up, and, and, then, and that'll influence you know, the harvest. It's not just deer population numbers and deer hunter numbers. So we, so. Want, we want good weather for those farmers to get rid of that corn, and then we want some snow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's what we'll all be praying for here, okay? Yep. You mentioned last year ideal conditions, great year for hunters. Let's look at some of those numbers from last year. Hunters registered more than 200,000 deer during that nine-day gun deer season, including, including just over 98,000 antlered, nearly 105,000 antlerless deer. The chart that folks are looking at shows deer harvest through all gun hunting seasons last year. That includes some special seasons outside of just the nine-day. And then DNR says compared to 2021, the total firearm deer harvest was up 14.4% statewide with the antlered harvest up 14.7%, antlerless harvest up 14.1%. All four deer management zones, the states divided into those four zones, showed harvest increases from 2021. So yes, a very good year. Mm -hmm. um, how many deer are estimated to live in the state? So we're right now, if we, if we talk about a deer population going into the hunting season, of course, it's at its highest point in the annual cycle. And in the last couple of years, we've been hovering right at about 2 million animals in the state. That sounds like a lot of deer, and it is, of course. But I remember my career when we started talking about the one million mark, and everyone started thinking, oh my gosh, that's, that sounds like an awful lot of deer. And so at a certain level, it's hard to connect you know, that number with then their local experiences. And, and the challenge with talking about deer at that scale is that it is, it's all about scale. We talk about deer populations at a statewide level or at a zone level or even a unit level, but the average hunter's world is much smaller than that. And there's so much um, diversity in deer densities within any unit in the state that you will find hunters that are living in and amongst and trying to hunt in areas where the deer densities are even higher than that, and then other areas where not so much. And so a lot of hunters, because of the enthusiasm of deer hunting in Wisconsin, there's folks trying to you know, have a deer hunting experience in less than optimal locations. And so it stands to reason that there's going to be, out of 600,000 hunters, tens of thousands that are going to have an experience that doesn't match up. Where with they're going to say, two million like, deer, where yeah, were they? exactly. So two million, is that two million statewide number? Is that trending up? Are we, are we seeing more deer than every year, pretty much? Yeah, it's been really trending up for 30 years, frankly, and most of that's been driven by the farmland zone. So and that's where the most yeah, of the deer are. Right. And, and, and when you say farmland zone, let's, what's, what does that mean to our sure. viewers? Sure. So you had mentioned there's four zones in the state. We have two forest zones, the northern forest and central forest. Central forest is a rather small area uh, that's nested within what we call the central farmland. And so the central farmland which just runs across the middle of the state. Um, south of Highway 64, 
for the most part, and and down through you know the, the southern, you know that southern part is a third. These two long bars across the state are the farmland zones. That central farmland zone is really the deer factory right now that's driving most of the numbers, both in terms of population and harvest. So is that, is according to the DNR, is that a problem to have kind of that density overpopulation in certain areas of the state? It is because we've, we've seen, again, talking about the farmland zone, um, that our annual h- harvest is not keeping pace with annual production, you know, of the deer population, and it's it's not as easy as you know the deer, you know, hunters aren't harvesting enough deer. Um, again, those deer are unevenly distributed, and access to those deers is also uneven. And so there, there's hunters that certainly would love to contribute to the harvest, but aren't in a position where they're at right now to do so. And then other hunters that have opportunity. Um, beyond what they really want. And so, you know, we, we know that most successful deer hunters, once they have a deer in the freezer, their incentive to take an additional deer goes way down. And so in areas of the farmland where you had mentioned that the number of bucks that were killed and the number of antlerless deer, there was just barely more antlerless deer killed than bucks. And in the farmland zone, we really need that ratio to be at least one and a half antlerless deer more to the bucks. Deer. And frankly, in a lot of the farmland, two antlerless deer for every buck. And that helps to control that population. Yeah. Yep. So is there anything that the DNR is doing? I know you encourage um, more antlerless deer harvesting in those farmland zones. What, 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 what's happening at DNR to kind of change that and bring that ratio up? I think most of it is just discussion and education and, and using something like that ratio of, of the percentage of antlerless deer taken per buck. And so given, so that someone in that farmland, if their approach is, yeah, I want to do what's best for the long-term health of the herd and the balance of deer with the landscape, for every buck that we take as a group, um, our objective should be to take two antlerless deer. And, um, and then they're, they're in the realm of both experiencing their hunting recreation and um, helping manage, manage the herd. If, so just giving them that target of, um, if you can, take two antlerless deer for every buck that gets taken, and we'd say you're doing your part. Let's talk about the northern zone. We heard uh, during the wolf management plan uh, discussions that a lot of hunters said the the deer population has been decimated by wolves in northern Wisconsin. Is there evidence of that? There's not evidence that the population has been decimated. Is But when people are saying that, what they're reacting to is there are areas that they're familiar with that they used to find deer, and, and maybe even without a whole lot of trouble find deer in those areas now it's very challenging to find some deer. And is that because of the wolves? It's a combination of things that lead to the fact that we I mentioned earlier deer are unevenly distributed on the landscape. That's statewide but it's for different reasons in the north and the in the northern forest or the farmland but certainly in the northern forest as well the deer are very unevenly distributed. High concentrations of deer in concentrated areas, big vast swaths of land, especially a lot of public land where the deer densities are pretty low. And so again, that comparison of the way things used to be to the way they are now, there's deer up in the northern forest. Our population estimates would suggest that that's actually, they're probably right about where they could be, should be, maybe even in some areas of the north there's more deer than there should be locally. but. They're not distributed where hunters are used to them being. And so tying that back to wolves, usually what I 
try to share with people is that it's not that the wolf, the presence of wolves reduce the deer numbers as much as they change deer behavior. And deer aren't living in the same places. Deer are practicing predator avoidance <laughs> in a way that they didn't used to have to do. And so, yeah, they're, see, they're, move, they're changing their behaviors, they're changing where they're spending their time, which can be very fluid based on where the wolves are spending their time. And I've, I've hunted in wolf country for 20 years myself, and you can tell when, if you're hunting within the range of a wolf, known wolf pack, it's not that hard to tell whether the wolves are in your neighborhood of their pack zone um, or maybe they're on the other side based on how the deer are behaving. So, but certainly the, the lack of sighting of deer equates to there can't be as many deer. And so then why is that? And we like to have a very black and white cause and effect relationship of if this, then this. But the reality is it's a complex situation up north and there's multiple factors that are influencing. But it, the reality that people aren't seeing deer where they used to see them and as many is, is certainly true. Um, so that's just one of the challenges of, of managing deer in the future. Right, and in terms of managing deer, I know there's a lot of hazards that deer can cause to non-hunters. Um, DOT tracks the number of deer-related crashes. Last year, 16,000 or so uh, vehicle deer crashes. Is that the sort of data that DNR also looks at is where those traffic accidents are happening? Actually, we don't because we have a history of, there's certain information that that metric can provide, but the, again, there's variables that influence that reporting rate that, that disconnect the reported crash numbers to trends in deer population. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of things that can be going on there. And if it, if it was the best data available, you'd use the best data available, and so you'd follow those, those trends. But we do know that the actual reported car kill deer crashes is probably considerably less than the actual number that happened. And um, it's, it's very seasonal, it's con conditional, and, and the bottom line is we, we have better data to work with as it relates to tracking our harvest numbers that the hunters provide. And so we'll, we'll watch the car, deer car crash data as a, another like a tertiary index to see does it line up with other things you know whether it's what's the harvest rate doing what's crop damage claims doing um, and then other reports and then if, if the car kill information is lining up with that it just becomes one more you know factor one more data point. but there are situations where the car kill data may change dramatically in a given year and then you go back and find out that well the, the, that particular county changed its protocol. A traffic pattern or yeah, way or, some, yeah, where or how they were, were reported. Sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah. that makes sense. Um, you know, because you're talking a little bit about deer health, um, because you're predicting a less fruitful season for hunters due to all these other conditions, what kind of an impact does that have on the overall health of the deer population? So I like to talk about that just health of deer because it means different things to different people because when you hear deer population or deer health, some, you know, the, the clinical health of the deer population as it relates to, you know, diseases and other things. And of course, chronic wasting disease is a big specter that's out there that we talk about. But there's other diseases that can affect deer as well. And so, in general, more deer, the high, real high deer density areas make it the risks of health problems as far as disease, you know, rates of spread and that kind of stuff, it goes higher. So one might think a healthy deer population means it's robust and the more the merrier, the higher the deer population, the more the deer are reproducing, the healthier it is. But that has a, 
it's a double-edged sword. And so, you know, in a lot of parts, again, of the farmland part of the state, we would describe the deer population as not being healthy because there's probably too many of them on the landscape, again, in certain, certain areas. And so the, the trade-off there for the deer is they have to adjust to limited resources with more animals on the landscape. There'll be less food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we see that in terms of body weight. We see it uh, in terms of fawn production. And we see it in, with bucks in terms of antler development. And we can refer to that as a density-dependent kind of factor that at a certain level you hit a threshold where each individual deer isn't as healthy as it could be because it's just the, the interspecies competition is just just too high. You mentioned chronic wasting disease, which Wisconsin's been dealing with since it was first detected in 2002, uh, a fatal infectious nervous system disease that's highly transmissible among deer. Um, how would you describe the current status of CWD in Wisconsin? I think the current status of the disease is that it continues to um, uh, develop uh, on a level and a trend that we've been monitoring, you know, for a couple of decades now. And so, you know, we've we've got some really strong monitoring data, you know, thanks to the hunting community, you know, that is, you know, sharing that through getting their animals sampled and it has allowed us to track the history and the development of this disease across the state. And we just, we continue to see this slow expansion of the spread of the disease. In the last, each of the last two years, we documented CWD and wild deer in four additional counties. And just two were announced, Polk and Trumplow, yep. just within the last several weeks, the first detection ever in those counties. Right. Would you say, is, is the spread of CWD serious in the state? Oh, it's definitely serious in as much as for those folks that are in parts of the state where the disease hasn't been detected or isn't prevalent, um, being able to look into the crystal ball to say what is what is it going to be 10 to 20 years from now, and that's the challenge with something like this, right? Is it really is about what are things going to look like 10 to 20 years from now, not next year. But for those of us in northern Wisconsin or eastern Wisconsin, we can look into the crystal ball and look at. Sauk County and Iowa County and Richland County to see what the future might be like. And so that, the decision process that hunters find themselves in, in an area where the likelihood of their animal that they harvest being positive can be upwards of 50%, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to harvest a deer and I've got a 50 coin flip as to whether or not that deer's, you know, has CWD or not. The other parts of the state, you'd I would hope you wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> right, right. Um, we want to show a map that shows the DNR's current CWD sampling areas. Um, they're targeting certain areas currently. Most of the southern part of the state, the blue area on the map, is considered the endemic area where there is ongoing disease surveillance due to CWD positives. The tan areas indicate a sampling area that's due to a newer CWD positive and includes a 10-mile surveillance area surrounding the initial detection. What, what does that sampling process tell the DNR about the spread of CWD? Well, we, could, we can tie, and there's some, there's some research, some real intensive research that was done a couple of years ago over, over a period of time in the core area, um, looking at a couple of different landscapes to see how the rate of spread and the rate of, or the infection rate might be affected by the landscape, by the habitat, by the patterns of 
where the habitat is. So for example, in an area that has a lot of deer habit, it's ideal deer habit, which a lot of our core area is in that Iowa, you know, Richland, you know, Sauk County I was talking about. And then looking in other areas of the state that are intensively agriculture, which means the deer habitat is much more limited and constricted, um, the pattern of how the disease spreads and then how quickly it can grow is, is different on those landscapes. And so we're able to capture that. And I think a lot of the monitoring we're doing in Wisconsin has been beneficial nationally because there's a lot of states that are dealing with this that are not quite as far along the timeline as Wisconsin is. And so they're very interesting, you know, watching what we're capturing so they can make informed decisions in their states too. I know the DNR is um, asking hunters or making uh, testing available to hunters. It's not mandatory to have your deer right. tested for CWD. Why should a hunter opt to have their deer tested? Honestly, a big part of it is, first of all, it's to make an informed decision yourself as to, you know, that you feel comfortable, you know, consuming that, that deer. But it's also, in the bigger picture, just a matter of wanting to be participating as a citizen scientist. So it's really no different than wanting to contribute to the databases and information that help make management decisions, whether you're a bird watcher that, that logs all of your sightings in a way that can be used by science to help monitor changes. It's really that same citizen science approach that by contributing my deer and having it sampled, I'm just helping that database and we have the most robust database in the country because we have you know a good segment of our hunting population that recognize their role and the opportunity to be a citizen scientist and help you know inform decisions going forward what is the danger to humans of, of consuming venison that's from a CWD positive deer so for for decades we've we continue to be in the fortunate situation that it, there's never been a documented situation where the disease has jumped the species barrier. And that's one of the interesting things about this whole family of diseases is that there's, there's multiple groups of mammals that have their own form of this type of a prion disease, but they tend to stick with their own species or the family group of, of animals. But there's, because in the past there has been documentation of the disease jumping what we would call that species barrier. It's one of the, you can't, it's a never say never situation. And again, 20, 30 years ago, we have the experience of, of you know, the mad cow experience that, that England had. So that's why it's like, you can't say zero or that there is no chance. From a statistical reality, it's infinitesimally small at this point, but again, because it's not zero. Um, and from a good management standpoint of, of recognizing that every time someone consumes from a positive deer, you've replicated the experiment. You know, mm -hmm. so it might. Is it a million replications? Is it five million? Is it ten million? It's a lot. I mean, again, because the risk is is so low. So low, but it's not zero based on history of some other situations. So, are you seeing over time because of that, even such a such a small risk that some hunters are reluctant to hunt in areas with high CWD counts? Yeah, I think we can see that in our data in the southern farmland zone is where most of the CWD situation is. And we, when we look at both um, hunter numbers and look at the harvest rates, and again, that, that ratio of buck to antlerless harvest, 
we see that area of the state struggling in antlerless deer harvest even more so. And I think that's that reluctance to at least a portion of the hunting population is, is it's not about the venison, which is what we really want it to be about and should be about. And actually not harvesting deer is the exact opposite of what you'd want to do in a disease management situation. Right, so so that stuck. is a, yeah, that is a, it's a real challenge. Is, what does the future look like, particularly for that area of the state? How are you encouraging hunters to participate there? Yeah. Again, I think it's, and, and part of it, human nature is, is, we have to see it to believe it. We have to experience it. And um, we, we may be starting to see actual population level impacts of the disease in certain areas. And I suspect there's quite a few people that are like, until I see that happening, I'm, I'm not so sure this is really a, you know, something serious. And it might take that actual population decline. That's kind of what some people I think are waiting for. Because again, we said 20 years ago, at some point in time, this is going to start negatively affecting the deer population. And there's probably a lot of hunters taking the wait and see approach. But when we, if and when we start to document that, and again, we're getting anecdotal stuff at a local level in some of these counties that, that at least real local deer population numbers have, uh, I kind of refer to it as like a pocket collapse, you know, in, in smaller areas. And those landowners are starting to express that, you know, boy, we just aren't seeing the deer that we used to see and not the older deer that we used to see, which is, again, something we knew about the disease. The deer aren't living as long. Right. It's not going to wipe deer out, but it's going to really impact their lifespan. Their sure. Um, I know there's uh, that the state law requires the DNR to implement a baiting and feeding ban, when a uh, three-year ban, when mm -hmm. CWD is found in a county. Um, how does that multi-year ban on baiting and feeding really help to prevent the spread? Yeah, so baiting and feeding bans are something that's recognized again nationally as at least a preventative action, but prevent doesn't mean stop, I, and prevent probably isn't the right word, reduce the risk. And so we know that exposure and transmission happens naturally in a number of different ways. And so a baiting ban simply is something we can do that reduces the amount of concentration and contact. Is there signs it's working? The only way you could really say it's working is to jump back in a time machine and not do a baiting ban and see if the rate of spread was faster or, or was different. There's, there's certainly research that documents that the, the odds of the disease transmission under that scenario with bait um, does increase transmission. So just the knowledge of that, you know, suggests, yeah, it's the prudent thing to do. And um, so it's the, the idea of doing it on a, uh, with a uh, sunset, you know, you know, if we get a, an air, a new area, we have some history now where we've gotten a positive animal, but then not another one for 10 years. And so uh, then the question came in to, well, if the ban, ban is perpetual, but it, are we really doing anything if it doesn't seem like the disease had really caught on in this area? Can we go back to allowing that, that culturally, in some cases, preferred you know, strategy? And so that's where the legislature stepped in and said, because initially it was perpetual. There was no, you know, once the ban's on, it stays on. And then they changed that to say, you know, if you don't get another positive um, after three years, it's going to expire, and, and in adjacent counties that didn't have the d disease in their county, it's actually a two-year expiration. 
the, the challenge now there's, now there's a bill that they would want to have the ban only apply to wild deer versus uh, potentially captive deer that's found positive yeah and and there are there's a lot of different attitudes and views and approaches out there and that gets expressed through people you know reaching out and saying you know I, you know we want to change this and that's that's what we do in a democratic process and, and feel that out. What there, do you think is the right thing to do? You know, the the others um, would say that it's better to err on the side of caution. And we, and we do have evidence of situations where we have the disease in a captive situation and it doesn't necessarily stay captive. Um, but th that gets to be, you know, it's a back and forth and, and, and a lot of opinion as to what that level of risk is. And really that's what it all comes down to is the comfort with acceptance of risk and managing risk and where you know where how are you going to you know min navigate that so as we're wrapping up our time where's the best place to go deer hunting in wisconsin i love that question and i don't like that question <laughs> because it's really hard to answer and the reason it's hard to answer is because what i found is that there's no such thing as a stereotypical deer hunter or that we all want to do it the same way and so, and that's what I love about it is that there's such diversity in what people are looking for in their experience that Wisconsin provides that diversity of options, north to south and east to west. And so, there so, might be a trophy deer hunter. I want to get my trophy deer, or there might be the conservationist hunter that wants to help manage the population or one that wants good venison. Right, right. And so it might be I want to see as many deer as possible, or I want to see as big a deer as possible, or I want to. Um, have an experience where I don't see another hunter the entire season, <laughs> and, and there's places you could do that. Or I want to go where I'm going to see lots of other hunters and enjoy it together. And so we've got all those options, and so depending on what someone's looking for, they can customize their experience. So what's your advice to hunters this year? Think about the memories that, you know, set yourself up for good memories, and that memory doesn't just come from harvesting a deer and you know, with pictures of the deer, there's a lot of different things that could become the memory that you really remember for years and years to come. And it may be between the, the friendship of two people. It might be another critter that you saw that you've never seen before because you're sitting quietly in the woods. Um, or of course, it might be an adrenaline rush because you saw the biggest deer of your life. And there's gonna be people that get all of those experiences you know, in, during the season. And I think to me, that's what the magic is about it. All right. Well, we wish everyone a successful hunt. Will you be out there? I will. I will. Uh, and I hunt in a couple of different areas of the state, trying to get a feel for what's going on in different parts. And so, um, yep, I'll be as optimistic that Friday <laughs> night as everybody else. All right. Well, thank you and good luck to you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. You have been watching a production of Wisconsin Eye, your unfiltered window into legislative deliberations and public policy programming, where our mission is to provide Wisconsinites an opportunity to access the legislative process and connect with conversations that inform our citizenry. Please consider supporting our mission, and thank you for watching. Wisconsin Eye, policy made public.